When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everybody back to the Clear Out Podcast. Man, it, it feels good to say that again. It's It's been a minute. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm doing okay. I, I tried to record this episode yesterday and I'm not lying when I say I could not get through eight minutes of recording without like hacking up a lung. I've had this like weird, mysterious, non-COVID illness I tested yesterday um, and it's just like been here for a couple weeks. So a nice little night of sleep. I feel a lot better. Um, hopefully, I don't hack up a lung or anything like that. If that does happen, there will be a couple cuts, but I'm feeling pretty good. I, I think we're going to get through this just fine. Um, otherwise, things have been good. Yeah, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, general NBA work um, for basketball news, so I've just been covering the rest of the playoffs, and it's been fun, um, you know, just writing about different series, different teams. I'm able to to balance that stuff during the year uh, along with my net stuff, but it's been nice to focus solely on that um, because that's ultimately what I want to do, I think, with my career. I don't know how many people know that, but yeah, I just to get a taste of like what it's like to cover the league nationally has been really fun. Um, But I I will say like I have really missed talking about the Nets. I, I have to say like when the season ended, uh, the Nets were just about the last thing I wanted to talk about. It was such a tumultuous season, and I feel like a lot of people can agree with that. And I, that was kind of the sentiment I got on all the different internet communities was just, you know, once that season ended, people were like, yeah, I'm good. Like, we don't we don't need to talk about this team or think about this team because this was such a miserable year. Now you can kind of feel like the reinvestment from people. And I know I'm in that camp as well, um, you know, especially as we're coming close to Finishing up the finals, which I guess is, um, before we get into this mailbag, um, I'll be doing this podcast a lot more once the finals conclude and the draft conclude, like this will be my main focus. Um, I just sort of, (laughs) for lack of a better explanation, I have to follow the money. So once the finals end, that's going to be what I'll be looking at. This podcast will get picked up a lot. We'll be doing interviews with different people. Um, it'll be fun. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, like, let's do this mailbag. Uh, I... Did one of these, man, I I don't know. It must have been in the middle of the season or something like that. Uh, I know it was before the trade deadline since I answered a bunch of questions on stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's do this. I The way this works, I like to answer every single person's question, uh, which first off, by the way, thank you for all the questions. The response was like truly overwhelming. I expect this episode to be so long. Like we could be doing a two-hour podcast, and I'm fine with that because I want to make sure I answer every single person's question. Uh, But the way I do it is usually if I have a couple of questions that are similar, I'm going to batch them together. The last time I did a mailbag, it felt like a little disorganized. So I've even like sectioned them out by topic. So I'll tell you kind of like what topic we're doing. Um, I'll kind of read off a couple of the questions. If if they're similar, I'll just read out like who asked the questions. And and these are all pulled from Reddit and Twitter. I could have gone to YouTube too, but this like I – 
I want to do something with my Saturday other than this podcast, so I think we've got enough material here. Um, let's get started. So, first question. I like this question. Like, I saw this right away on both Reddit and Twitter, and I thought it was really creative. Uh, the question is essentially, and this is from Leash, uh, Lish MH33 and uh, Netshive from Twitter. What's up, Netshive? Um, so, the question is essentially, if you were hired as the Nets GM tomorrow, what's the first move you would make and why? So it's funny, um, for all the questions that I got, I got questions about the rookies, about Nick Claxton, about Simmons. I actually didn't get one Kyrie Irving question, which I feel like is the biggest, (laughs) that's like the biggest question of the offseason, right? It's been the biggest talking point. Um, I've had some questions that are loosely related to this, but I'll say right here, I'm re-signing Kyrie. That's the number one thing I'm doing. And look, like, I know the Nets right now that there's... They're working on trying to put clauses related to games played. Uh, Maybe there's some quibbling over how many years he's signing. Ultimately, for me, if I'm GM, I'm kind of giving him what he wants. And, And if that sounds like I'm folding, I mean, here's the reality of the situation, man. When these guys all signed here, including DeAndre Jordan, I guess, um, on the clean sweep day, the Nets made their bet. Like, they handed over the franchise to these guys. So to try to take it back right now just feels weird. I get it it was a bad playoff exit, but like everything went wrong. Ultimately, again, the Nets sold their souls by by building the super team. That's what you have to do in this league. So for me, if I'm looking at, hey, we have Kevin Durant here and we want this guy to stay at all costs. We're not sure about this Kyrie guy. Well, sorry, those two guys are linked. And ultimately... You're going to have to do what you have to do to keep Kevin Durant, which is bring back Kyrie. And for me, at a certain point, like, you don't have any draft picks. He's a really good player, you know, when he's on the floor. So I'm bringing him back. Yeah, I mean, sure, put clauses in. That's fine if that's what you think you need to do. But ultimately, I'm bringing him back at all costs. Other move I'm doing. I'm letting go of Steve Nash. Um, There was a lot of smoke around game two of the series against Boston that he was gone. I heard it from multiple different people that he was supposed like that was that was what was percolating. Um and I don't know what's happened between now and then. The Nets got swept. Like all signs pointed to him being gone. And for me, again, I don't know what's changed. I don't know if KD said, "Hey, let's actually keep this guy." I don't know if it's ownership saying, eh, this is our, you know, the third highest paid coach." in the league? Do we really want to eat that cost? I don't know. But I will just say like with Nash, I I just don't know what he's added to to the Nets this in, in his tenure. And and like I he's he's a great dude. He's a, a fun interview, but I just I don't know what he's added in terms of like identity, philosophy, I, I, he's brought in to manage egos. The Nets had probably the biggest blow-up of last season and maybe the last couple of seasons between their star players. I just don't know what what Steve Nash has has really, like, what has he contributed to this title run, uh, which has now failed twice? Um, you know, it, I just, that would be my first move, personally. Or second move, I guess. I think there's a lot of good candidates out there. And... Um, you know, I 
it, it just seems, I get it, it, he's gone through like the worst possible situation in terms of guys forcing out, injuries, this COVID thing, um, but even so, I just, he hasn't really put an imprint on the Nets it, whatsoever. Next sec, next little topic. We got some off-season questions. I, I There are a lot of them. So I'll start here. I'm not going to read this full question, but uh, Harvey Specter from Reddit pretty much touched on every single uh, possible question. So I'm not going to read everything, but there was one thing that I really wanted to talk about because none of the other questions discussed it. Um, it's about Bruce Brown. I'm letting Bruce Brown walk. I, I, if there's a way, like if, if the Nets, okay, so let me put it like this. If it comes down to Nick Claxton versus Bruce Brown, I'm probably letting Bruce walk, even though I think Bruce can actually be a bigger contributor for the Nets next year. Um, I don't know if I actually feel that good about that take. We're going to leave it in though. Um, he kind of, he kind of overlaps with Ben. Like now that Ben Simmons is here, I I just don't really know what Bruce brings that is better than Ben in that way. You know, like now the Nets can just plug Ben into the Bruce Brown role and have him screen and roll and make plays. Um, You know, he's not the same cutter, but he can, you you could use him as a cutter within the offense. He's got, he's not bad at those like slot cuts to the rim and stuff like that. Um, and, And for me, I think then it turns Bruce into like, we really need you to be able to shoot. Like, what you did last year from the corners, we need that to translate. And I'm just not sure I'm completely sold on that yet. $18 million is the number that's been thrown thrown around a lot. That's a lot for Bruce Brown. Granted, the Nets are over the tax. or oh, Yeah, they're, they're a tax team. So, uh, so in a sense, the money doesn't really matter. In a sense, like, you should just retain talent at all costs and, like, do what Joe Lacob is doing and just like pay the most ridiculous luxury tax ever. But obviously we're not sure that's going to happen. That's not going to apply to every single team. So um, I would probably let him walk just reading the situation, reading that it's probably going to come down to him or Nick. Um, I just think Nick, like he just brings you a little bit more and he doesn't overlap as much um, with, with, I guess, some of the existing players on your roster. All right, let's do some more of these. Do you think the Nets keep the rookies? If not, do you think they could realistically get salary plus some collection of Cam uh, Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, Kessler Edwards, and David Duke Jr.? I, yeah, I think they probably keep them all, though I do feel like Cam Thomas is the most expendable. You'd probably pair him with one of the Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Troika. That's a good word, huh? Uh, and then probably a couple of picks. If, if there's like a really good piece out there, I think that makes some sense. Um, Cam obviously is at his best writing solo. You could look at the Knicks game where he had that game winner. And I just am not sure he's going to get the role that he really needs to succeed in Brooklyn. Um, I, yeah, he just feels like a guy, like if he's got his own team, he can work through his mistakes. Uh, in Brooklyn, he's got to become better off ball. And that's just a big ask. You know, a lot of his creation is when, you know, Kyrie or KD drives, they kick out to him. And instead of like just pulling up, he'll take like a super tough floater over the defense. And like, yeah, he's good at those shots, but it's it isn't as natural as just being like, hey, here's the open catch and shoot. We're gonna get three points out of that. Um, so so I think he's probably the most expendable, and he's the guy I'd look at moving the most. But you know, it all depends on what's out there. You know, and, and again, like he's super young, so improving his shot, I think is. I mean, it's not like the easiest thing to do, but it is fairly low-hanging fruit. 
He's got good touch, clearly, based on how good he is from the short mid-range. So I think you could be able to take that skill set, tinker with his mechanics a little bit, and and you might have a real player that grows into this nice off-the-bench spark plug, or even maybe a starter in a couple years. He's got to improve on defense as well, though. Dayron Sharp, I, I don't want to say he has no value, but like I don't know which team is forking over crazy assets for him. Like he at that point he's just kind of like, hey, here's a young guy along with, you know, one of our shooters. He could be something, but it's not like he's this like crazy asset or anything like that. I know there's a lot of Dayron believers um, within the Nets fan base. He, I, I just, I don't think he has crazy value. I would keep Kessler Edwards. Not at, I mean, everybody's tradable at a certain price, but his size and positional versatility, especially on that cheap contract, I just think is so hard to find in this league. And if you can find a, a big wing like that um, and, and have him basically take up none of your cap, I, that's just like, I, I can't emphasize enough how crucial that is to keep around. And then as for David Duke Jr., he's a flyer even for the Nets. Like if he improves the three-point shot, I mean, we could be looking at something, but right now, I mean, last year he was like the poor man's DeAndre Bembry, Bruce Brown. So it's like, and those guys have, I mean, Bembry's a minimum, better and minimum guy. Uh, Bruce, before kind of having the year that he had, was sort of looking in that range as well. So for me, it's like, is David Duke Jr. really going to sway things? Probably not. And I, at this point, like, I need to see him make the Nets roster before we see anything. Oh, by the way, that last question was from at BK Breakdown on Twitter. Uh, oh, who, by the way, hey, do more breakdowns, man. I always like when you do film threads. Uh, th- those are always pretty fun to watch. So yeah, definitely do more of those. Uh, next up, we got Chimmy Otriov, also from Twitter. Somebody who's been rocking with me for probably since like my Elite Sports New York days, I think. So appreciate you for sticking with me for so long. Um, how would you rank these Nets needs in order? Actual pass first point guard, two-way wing, Ben Simmons at 100%. I'm going Ben Simmons at 100%. Uh, I will touch on why, but I just like, he's easily the highest upside guy. It's star player. Uh, I don't care what wing you get. If you have like Ben Simmons fully integrated, 100%, that guy is like a huge, 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 huge piece for what the Nets are trying to build here. Uh, then I'm going two-way wing, and then I'll go the pass first PG, although I think they need both of those things pretty badly, which by the way, mm, here we go. Underscore dim one, what role players do the Nets need uh, to get that will fill in the gap? So I took this question, I mean, I, this could have been asking for names, but I'm going to touch on names in just a second because I want to organize this a little bit. Uh, I just did certain archetypes. So I had a 3 and D wing as number one. Like, you look at how the Nets were last year in the playoffs, and you watch, like, Seth Curry guarding Jalen Brown, and you're like, okay, all right. Like, this can't happen again. Uh, that's what I mean by they need a 3 and D wing. They need guys that are, like, switchable, multi-positional, uh, can space the floor and just guys that can like stay in front of guys and not get just bowled over by bigger wings, which, or, or, you know, whatever, or Giannis, which I guess nobody really has an answer for that. But regardless, they just need guys that can play physical and stay in front of, of stars at those star wings that seem to run the league. Uh, ball handler. That's my number two as, as, uh, I previously touched on in the last question. Yeah. I, they just need somebody to organize the offense. I like KD a lot, obviously, as a player. Uh, I don't love him running the offense. I think we saw the limitations of that against the Celtics. 
And I think we definitely know the limitations of Kyrie running the offense. So for me, I look at those two things and I say, man, like they really need somebody that, and it's not, I'm not asking for like a starting level point guard. You're not going to get another James Harden through these doors. What you can get though is a guy that comes off the bench, kind of like what Goran Dragic does or did for the uh, the Nets last year in the playoffs and just sort of set things up, get guys into the right spots. That's what I mean by, hey, they need a guy that's going to organize the offense. Just a practitioner in a way. And then last up, I have a stretch five. Uh, And the only reason I have that is just because I think the Nets starting front court will be, I mean, I think it's going to be Nick Claxton and, uh, and Ben Simmons. So obviously there are some spacing concerns. And when you split those guys up, it would be nice if you could pair them with a guy that can shoot some threes from the five position. Uh, versus bringing in another, like, I don't know, what's it, Andre Drummond. Like, I, I don't want to see Andre Drummond and Ben Simmons play together. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think a stretch five would be the obvious last thing to look at. Uh, we have three questions, all on 3 and D wings, all on, and I, I just I, I uh, bundled these together, um, uh, kind of surrounding the taxpaying mid-level exception, which I believe is $5.7 million. Um, we got... Three questions. Corey, Corey Bucanter. Uh, oh, what's up, Corey? Uh, which 3 and piece should the Nets use the TMLE on? Uh, the only Nets fan. What's up, Sam? Uh, throw out some options for defensive specialists with size or way that aren't Jeff Green and Otto Porter. And then Busy B, my guy, Brian Florentine. Should the Nets take a flyer on a player such as TJ Warren in free agency? All right. Um, I'll start here by saying this. Jeff Green, Otto Porter Jr., and TJ Warren are all worth looking at with the TMLE. I don't know if TJ Warren's a minimum guy. It kind of depends on what his medicals look like and like what the market is surrounding him. But those guys, I think, are all worth looking at. Some other names. I had Victor Oladipo, who, yes, I get it, point of attack defender. That's fine. He's still still really good, and we saw what he can do in, in the conference finals. Like, he's just a hellacious defender still. Um, so... I had him, Nick Batum, who I guess is, I there was I know he had a quote a while ago saying like, I'm never leaving the Clippers unless they make me. So this is under like the world where uh, they make him leave or whatever. Uh, very big long shot. Kyle Anderson, guy that I wanted last year at the trade deadline, I believe. I have Torian Prince, which would be fun. Um, I mean, I don't know if he'd want to come back to the Nets. I'm not sure like how much he loved his stay here last time, but... Uh, I have him and then Gary Harris I had a really good year last year. Again, probably more of a point of attack guy, but really, really found himself and I, he'll have a lot of suitors in this off season. That's a guy I've loved forever. So I'm kind of happy that he like figured it out. I had him in like trade deadline columns for not this last year, maybe not the year before that, but the two previous years before that, he was a guy I always, 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 always wanted on the nets. Russell and Fro, another one that's been rocking me forever. What are what are some reasonable available free agents you think the Nets could target, either as minimum guys or on the T uh, taxpaying mid-level exception? All right, so we have already touched on the taxpaying mid-level exception guy. So let's do some minimum guys. Wings, uh, Wes Matthews, probably going back to the Bucks. If not, man, you saw his work against Tatum, I think it was, in their series. Uh, in the second round series, that guy is just awesome. So if something happens and this is another PJ Tucker situation or whatever, um, that guy is worth a look though. Again, I'm assuming he's probably going to stay there because they basically, 
picked him up in January off his couch. So I'm assuming he feels a little indebted, I guess, in a way. Speaking of P.J. Tucker, I have him there. A little worried about the tread on the tires. Can't lie, I'm a little worried. I'm waiting for him to, you know, tail off a little bit. But I know the Nets were interested in him. Actually, funny enough, this was, what, two seasons ago when they had Harden playing at, you know, full Harden levels. I remember at the deadline, I heard that they were, like, at the doorstep of getting P.J. Tucker. Like, everybody within the team thought that they were going to get Tucker. So they have had interest in, in him before to the point where they thought this was a done deal and they were going to get a trade with, with Houston. Um, so, so yeah, I know there's interest there and I know that they've like sought after him before. I have both the Ma- the Martin twins, Cody and Caleb. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, they're just, they're fun. They're a little, they're like balls of energy. A little bit on the smaller side, I guess they're more of like point of attack wings, but... Still, nonetheless, guys that I like. I love Yuta Watanabe. Shot 40% from three, I think, on pretty low volume. Uh, but really, really, just like a guy that plays his heart out. Again, I don't know what his situation is in terms of, like, is he going to stay in Toronto? I know he wasn't in the rotation, so he's not, like, somebody that's going to be a top, what, nine, top ten rotation piece. But he's he's a flyer. Like, he's worth seeing what you've got there. Cause I just like him. I don't know. I've always liked him. Daniel House, I have him in here because I feel like he gets thrown out every single time for the Nets. Shot 40% in, in Utah. Just not huge on him. Never have been. I think he's pretty over. I mean, he, I don't even think he's a good defender at all. Uh, but, you know, and, and a lot of like the decision-making stuff. Like whenever he puts the ball on the floor, it's always such an adventure, man. But he's on here just because like, you know, he, he is like, he could fill a, he could fill a role. I'll put it that way. I kind of like Juan Toscano-Anderson on, on Golden State. Another guy just defends his ass off, man. He had some really, really good possessions against KD, I think. I don't know if it was this year. It might have been last year. But I just remember being like, wow, this guy like really guards. He's 29, so like he's not somebody that's going to you know, improve and, and show things. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to like – maybe he'll like improve his shooting because I guess uh, Gary Payton II did that at, at 29. But um, – He's just a guy that like plays really hard. I, I I don't know. Again, end of rotation piece, but still like a guy that I wouldn't be upset about. I guess he would be like this year's DeAndre Bembry. Maybe, maybe. That that feels a little that feels a little bold. Uh, Juwan Morgan. The last two guys, Jaden McDaniel's. Uh, I just like any McDaniel's brother. They're no, excuse me, Jalen McDaniel's. Uh, I like any McDaniel's brother. I just think they're like ridiculous athletes and and fun to watch. Um, and then I have Juwan Morgan who I know seems very left field. The Nets had interest in him last year, um, right at the time that they were between Isaiah Hartenstein and Paul Millsap, which, by the way, I'm still upset that Paul Millsap didn't work out. I'm probably never going to get over that, honestly. Uh, But yeah, Juwan Morgan, um, he's had some nice moments in in the postseason before. Good defender. I I, I don't know. I, I just know that the Nets have liked him in the past, and I trust their scouting team like a lot. So um, that's definitely somebody that I think I could see being a, a good target for them. Let's move on to ball handlers. Don't have a ton here. I was kind of surprised, actually. I had Ricky Rubio, who, again, I know he's coming off ACL surgery, so I'm not sure what his recovery looks like. This might be a guy that, like, doesn't get signed until halfway through the year, you know, when he inevitably uh, comes back from injury. But regardless, he's 
he's somebody that I, uh, I, I, I could, I could definitely get into. He just feels like the, like he, he feels like Drogic, but even better of a orchestrator in terms of like setting up the half court offense. I Delon Wright, number two. This guy I feel pretty good about, uh, and I know a couple other people do as well. I've seen this name thrown out quite a bit. Yeah, it was really good last year uh, for Atlanta, and just a nice, solid off the bench dude. Uh, I, I, I gotta say, like, I, I think he'd be a, a great fit for the Nets. Uh, Corey Joseph, fine, serviceable point guard, veteran, not much else to say. And then the last two are like really more third guards, Aaron Holiday, Ruol Neto. I had Neto on my list last year. I'll put him on again. Um, Aaron Holiday. I always like having a Holiday brother on the roster. I, I, you know, he didn't get a ton of time to play in Phoenix. I know that was something that some Suns fans wanted to see a little bit more uh, with campaign seemingly falling off a cliff. But um, yeah, he's undersized. It's still a solid third guard. I think that's all I got to say on him. Centers. Uh, these are all going to be stretch five. So we'll talk about two of the guys that I've seen thrown around a lot. Uh, three, actually. Mo Bamba is number one. That's really more on Bucks Twitter. Man, Milwaukee Bucks fans want Mo Bamba like, more than they've ever wanted any free agent. I feel the same way about Mo Bamba as I do about this guy, Chris Boucher, who's another name I've seen thrown around a lot on Nets Twitter. Look, uh, I get it. They can shoot. They can space the floor. Uh, they can block shots. I just have the same problem with both of them in that I don't feel like they have, like, what's the word for it? I feel like their defensive awareness just for the both of them isn't great. Like there's a lot of like kind of wild fouls, like trying to go for blocks that they have no business trying to go for. They're just both a little erratic, I think, defensively. And again, I mean, I'm quibbling with the smallest things. They're both, you know, in in the right role, they're, you know, spacers and they can block shots. And that's all you can really hope for sometimes. You don't need them to be like Rudy Gobert on defense. But I just feel kind of the same way about both of them. Another guy, I'm like, I get it. Like, I've seen Jalen Smith thrown around a lot on Nets Twitter. My one thing is, like, I just don't know how much he's going to play. He's 22. He's been on three teams at this point. Um, Is he really going to be playing, like, heavy minutes for the Nets at that age? Probably not. This is a team that likes to play vets. It's pretty clear that they like to. It's really hard for young guys to, to crack a rotation. I mean, Nick Claxton kind of earned that starting spot just because every other center fell off a damn cliff last year. Let's be real. Like I think if, if Blake Griffin had been even 50% of what he was last year and Andre Drummond had been, you know, slightly better, because even Drummond was like starting games. I, I don't remember when he got pulled in that Boston series, but it was like way, 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 way too late in terms of like this guy shouldn't have been starting after like the first 20 minutes of that series. So I worry about that with Jalen Smith. I get it like springy guy, like he just, he had, from the outside looking in, this is a guy that I can easily see panning out. I do, I, I get it. I think he'd make a lot of sense for the Nets with D'Angelo Russell, like that, that 2018-2019 team. That would have been a guy that made sense for them. For this specific team in the, the I guess the era that they're in and the age group that they have, I just, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense. And then you can look at some of the other guys I have on the list, more like veteran guys, Mike Muscala. Shoots the hell out of the ball. Hopefully he can survive defensively, but that's a guy that makes some sense for this age group. I have Gorgie Jang on here, who I feel like I have every single year. I get it. I Gorgie might be... <laughs> Gorgie's not exactly the most um, fluid defensive athlete, 
but you know what he's going to get. Like he's, he's just a solid pro. Thomas Bryan, another guy, a little bit less of a defensive guy, kind of similar more to like Mike Muscala, I guess, but, um, can space the floor, roll hard. You know, he's not like an insane athlete, but that's another guy that like, you know what you're getting from him. And then the last two, these are just guys I kind of threw on here at the end. Um, I've kind of like how Bielitsa's held up in the finals. <laughs> I feel so stupid for saying this. Uh, so I have him on the list. And then Nas Reed, boy, somebody who did not look good in the playoffs. Uh, but I do like him. I've always liked his game. I have, I got to admit. Wasn't the greatest playoffs this year, but I still believe a little bit. So he's on my list too. All right, uh, who's one player you'd like to see Sean acquired in the offseason, either by free agency or trade? Uh, so I took this question as a trade question because I've obviously already touched on free agents. And by the way, I'll do a full-scale um, video, I guess, uh, on, on like my free agent targets. This is just me like briefly looking over this stuff and trying to get my brain humming a little bit on this stuff because I do need to start thinking about it fairly soon. So we'll start here. Um, first off, if I'm making a trade, it's going to be for a wing. I, I, I think you can get ball handlers for cheap. Like ball handlers are like, I think of... Like, John Wall is a good example. Like, what if John Wall gets bought out next year? That's a guy that, like, would you really trade assets for a point guard when you can just get John Wall on a buyout? I'm waiting till February, and then I'm getting that guy. You know what I mean? Like, there will be guys that will become available. Versus, you know, and, and, and like a stretch five. You really going to trade assets for a stretch five? Maybe, maybe, maybe you trade one of the young guys and... I don't know. I, I just don't even think you'd trade that much because most stretch fives can't really defend the rim like that. I mean, look at some of the names I just I brought up. Mike Muscala. Like, these aren't these guys aren't like rim protectors per se. But a wing is the thing I would trade for because that's obviously the Nets' biggest need and those are hard to come by. I mean, we read through the wings that are available in this free agency class. Nothing's moving the needle like crazy. Who does move the needle? OG Ananobi, who, by the way, man, a lot of headlines about him. Raptors fans are very upset <laughs> with Jake Fisher right now, who in my, from what I've seen does not, Jake Fisher doesn't mess around, man. Like I, he gets pretty good information. So I, I actually kind of buy that OG Ananobi could be available and he'd be great by the way. Uh, I call him like a three and D plus guy. You know, he, he can shoot the three. He's like an all defensive level guy, just a ridiculous defender. He could do a little extra off the dribble. He's not like a star wing per se, but he can do a little extra. Another guy that's kind of similar to that, DeAndre Hunter. I'm also not sure if he's available, but it seems like he's not going to get extended. Very similar to OG Ananobi. Great defender. Just great defender. Uh, a guy that can, you know, feasibly space the floor. And we've seen him. He's got that little like two dribble pull up um, when he's run off the line. I really like him, man. Like I just enjoy watching him and he's always somebody that pops for me. I don't know why the Hawks would get rid of him. That seems like the perfect guy next to Trey, but it seems like there's just a lot going on over there. So if he's available, man, and I, I by the way, I don't know if the Nets have the assets either. Like does Joe Harris and Cam Thomas and uh, I don't know. I mean, even, I'd even put Kessler Edwards in there for him. Uh, that was a cold take. And and like two firsts. Like I would, I would trade whatever for DeAndre Hunter. I think he's really good. But um, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's another guy. So I don't know if they have the assets for either of those two, but if they did, I'd like those two. And then a distant third, I have Jeremy Grant, who I think is a little overrated. And it's not even because of like his offense. It's his defense that I've always found to be like a little overrated. Like he's a good defender. I don't know if he's 
He's clearly not at the level of Hunter nor Ananobi. He's good. I wouldn't say he's like a, a like top-end stopper, but I do get it. Like if you put him in on a team like the Nets and you say, hey, we're going we're gonna to cut off a couple of those long twos that you've been taking in Detroit. We want you to space a little more. I think you're getting a more efficient player. It's pretty easy to see how that would work out. Oh, and then in this class, I also have Harrison Barnes. He's probably on the same tier as Jeremy Grant for me. Um, at a nice, actually, had a pretty decent year in terms of like self creation. I felt like it was. I think that was somebody did an article on him last year. It was really good, just kind of about the year that he had in terms of all the other things outside of just defending and rebounding and shooting threes. So he had a nice year, and I just like him. He's been a trade piece for me forever for the Nets. All right, we're going to go through a couple other ones. These are just in order of how I looked at them on the standings. This isn't in order of like who I'm interested in. Kyle Kuzma and KCP, if Beal forces out. That's right. Uh, if, if that happens or if Beal signs elsewhere, I could see them tearing things down. It is hilarious to think about that they could have gotten, the Nets could have gotten one or both of these guys in the Spencer Dinwiddie sign and trade. That is for a different day. But man, man, those guys would have made a massive freaking difference. Regardless, though, I have those two guys. Um, if Phoenix really shakes things up and they say, hey, like, we want to make some big changes here, let's say Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder becomes available, I would be interested in that. Cam Johnson, obviously, more on the shooting side. Jay Crowder, more of the, where I'm going to get in your jersey and just frustrate you side and just be kind of annoying and flop and be super grifty. But both of those guys, I think, are worth a look. I'm assuming Dallas keeps both of their wings, and for Royce O'Neal, that's another guy that I see get brought up a lot by people on Twitter. We do realize he's 6'4", right? Like, he's Bruce Brown's height. Like, and that's my big problem is, like, I just, I mean, I get it. I've had some guys in my free agents list that are that size, but those are free agents that you're signing for the minimum. I'm not trading assets for Royce O'Neal. I'm not. Why? He's 6'4". He's a point of attack. You're not you, like we've seen what it looks like for Utah. He can't stay in front of like big star wings like Kawhi or or even Paul George. Uh, if if the Clippers, if the Clippers roster gets super expensive and it seems like it might, um, Marcus Morris. I think that's a guy that could become available. Marcus Morris is like the ultimate boomer bust guy. Um, you know, some nights he's amazing. Some nights he hurts your team, but he's big. He can defend. Um, he's not like a great defender, but he's certainly somebody that has the size to at least bother guys. And uh, he can shoot really, really freaking well. Really good shooter. So I like him too if, if the Clippers kind of have to shed one of their pieces. Last three, I'm going to blast through these. Josh Hart, just always liked him. Um, really good rebounder for his size. And, uh, you know, and just plays hard. Knows Just a smart player. Lou Dort, another one, uh, barely makes any money, so I don't know what the trade would look like, but let's say the Thunder wanted to get just like another, I don't know, second round pick for him. Um, that's somebody I'd be interested in. Just has had like a lot of big moments in games. He had that big game against the Nets last year. Obviously had some big games in the bubble. Um, just, yeah, he's just kind of a gamer. And then Eric Gordon's my last one. Uh, you know, he's older, but he's really solid. He can do stuff off the dribble. Um... I, we know his pedigree as a shooter and a big, big body, just like a bowling ball. So defensively, he's he's tough to move. All right, this is the last question about free agency trades, whatever. This is from 
Oh, and that last one was from SSJ3 Pretzel. That's right. Uh, that's from Reddit. <laughs> last one is from Netsfan810200, who uh, is somebody I go back and forth with a lot on Twitter. By the way, is that your phone number? Why do you have so many numbers in there? <laughs> I'm just messing. Um, trade Dayron. For Mike Muscala, trade Cam and or a pick for P.J. Washington. Sign and trade around Claxton Boucher. And then you're going to start Kyrie, Joe, KD, Ben Boucher. Uh, then let the second unit run with shooters galore. Simmons, Curry. This, this is supposed to be the second unit, I guess, after this trade. Simmons, Seth Curry, P.J. Washington, Kessler Edwards, Mike Muscala. Then you close with P.J. at the five. Thoughts? Um, all right. Well, I don't love... Giving up Nick Claxton for Boucher, um, I just think you're getting like an older and worse player in a way. Um, I think I'd rather just figure out the spacing of Claxton and Ben together next to a, a you know the shooting of of uh, uh, Joe Harris, Kyrie, and KD, than start Boucher just for spacing purposes. Who I just to me is like a bench big. Uh, I do like I obviously I mentioned this before, but I like getting Muscala. I think he's a solid bench big. Same thing, I guess, could go for Boucher. And I like Washington, too. Um, in your lineup, you have him as the three. I'd probably put him at the four. Kessler Edwards would play the three there. Um, and then in, just in general, like, this doesn't even apply to, like, P.J. Tucker or not. I'm closing with Simmons at the five, and I'm running out a lineup of Kyrie, Seth, or, or Patty, I guess, depending on whatever you want to do there. Joe Harris, KD, and Simmons. And I get it. You're you're playing a dangerous game because the right team can expose that. But I think if you put that much shooting around Kyrie and KD, you're just going to win the numbers game that way. So that's usually... I think that would be my game plan no matter what the strategy is, no matter what the roster looks like. Unless they got like a wing. Like if you have like a, a floor spacing wing... Um, I don't know. What's a good example? What's some of the names I've brought up? Let's say you had... Um, Who's a good one? Who's a good one? Uh, Jeremy Grant. I mean, you'd probably have to give up Joe Harris for him. But let's say you somehow got that with Seth instead. I got this. Is this is ridiculous? But it would be Kyrie, Joe, Jeremy Grant, KD, and then I'd have Simmons. That's what I'd probably do. But I, I like Simmons at the five to close. Speaking of Ben Simmons, this is from Harvey Specter on Reddit. Do you think Ben is worth keeping, considering we would have to build the entire roster around him? I know his value is at an all-time low, but if the Nets could get a uh, Turner Brogdon type of package for him. Could the Nets ship him out? Uh, yeah, I do worry a little bit that Simmons is one of those guys like that you just have to have the perfect ecosystem for him. You have to have the perfect amount of shooting. You have to have the perfect amount of creation. You probably need to have a five next to him because he can't really protect the rim like that. He's just a weird player in that way. However, however, I think you have to see what you've gotten him first before shipping him out. Um, I'm really excited about what he can bring, and I'll try to touch on that later. But Turner and Brogdon just feels like you're selling kind of low. Uh, Brogdon is always hurt, like always hurt. And Turner, to me, is just really overrated offensively as a floor spacer. I get it, 33% is like good for a five. Is it great? No. Is that a number that defenses are very okay with letting, you know, I guess letting him shoot? Yes, I think that's probably the guy that defenses are going to sag off of in the postseason. And and he's going to have to take those shots. So, in a sense, I think that's just like not great value 
for for somebody that I like really honestly and idealized Ben Simmons fills every hole on defense and he's a guy that I mean imagine the Nets had him this year against that Celtics team that was trapping Kyrie and KD well especially KD on like every single possession like he would have looked like prime Iguodala or Draymond in that role you know short rolling making plays for others finding Kyrie finding Seth like that would have been a huge piece for the Nets and I really would have swayed the series so and and that's without mentioning what he does in transition so I think you have to see what that guy looks like next to this Nets team that has two guys that attract the type of defensive attention that they do a guy that reads the floor as well as he does you just gotta see you just have to we got a couple of questions about Nick Claxton this is from Paris Java. With the rumors out there that the Nets will likely match offers for Nick Claxton, how do you envision Simmons and Claxton working together in the front court? Defensively, I think having three near seven-footers that can switch will make the defense dynamic, but I think the problems will come offensively. How can they alleviate the spacing concerns? Um, Yeah, uh, boy. Well, all right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's going to be tricky, especially if defenses, like, if they don't trap or even hedge, or even switch pick and rolls when Simmons is setting screens for Kyrie and KD, I get worried there because then he's not in the open floor with an advantage. Like, let's say the defense switches and he slips out. Uh, one of Kyrie and KD hits him on the short roll. That's where you can get an advantage, right? That's where you can hit Nick Claxton for a lob. Because um, he's, you know, Simmons is effectively a bigger Bruce Brown with better vantage points because he's taller and just he's a better floor reader. Like I, for me, I look at let's say that let's say you have Simmons and um, and Claxton on the floor. It's kind of like the Nets version of Lob City. Like the way that Blake and DJ made that work. You know, I I I could see that working like that, where where Simmons is Blake in this role and he's short rolling and making plays from there, or just getting to the rim himself and being like this super dynamic athlete. Even with that team, though, I always felt like this, the Clippers left a little bit of food on the table. So I get it. I, I understand the concerns with spacing. Fortunately for the Nets, they do have some insane shooting in Patty, Seth, and Joe. So I, I, realistically, in these lineups where you have Claxton and Simmons and one of Kyrie or KD, you could have the other star or even one of, of the three shooters kind of in both the corners filled so that's pretty good right you have like 40 percent three-point guys all over the court and handling the ball it's it's about as good as you can do i think looking at you know this this strange alignment of claxton and and uh and simmons so i'm a little bit less worried about it than you i think it's probably my answer do the Nets need to find a stretch big this offseason to alleviate the spacing concerns that Ben would cause us from Paris Java again? Uh, and then the same question, A, Bynum, V5. Do you think it's possible for Clax to play alongside a stretch big? Uh, it's not like a... Like, I think the Nets can survive without one, but obviously I made that a, a pretty clear point earlier. It would help a lot to have a, betcha, a backup stretch five, um, which I actually think uh, leads pretty well to this next question, this is from Busy B. How big of a role do you see Nick Claxton having on the team next season? Well, since I just said they need a backup stretch center, and I think I said this earlier, yeah, I think he starts. Um, the Nets are 
clearly very invested in him, which, you know, in terms of like, hey, we're going to match just about anything, you know, even in spite of all of like the time that he's missed and having freaking mono last year, like they clearly think he can be a significant part of their future. And last year he was like, he was a starter. I mean, let's be real. Like he, he should have been the rightful starter, I think for most of the year. And, you know, I think that's what they're shooting for is to, and he's probably shooting for as well, just to make him the long-term uh, starter. And, um, you know, I think most of the centers that are on the market right now are mostly backups. That also helps with the situation. All right, uh, we're going to move on. Shooters, that's what this section is called. And it's all kind of related to what the Nets should do with these three guys. Is it redundant to keep, and this is from underscore dim one on Reddit, is it redundant to keep all three of Joe, Seth, and Patty, or is it better to keep all three shooters in case of injury? Uh, And then this is again from Corey on Twitter. Out of Joe, Patty, Seth, who do you think is actually back? I'll answer the question first, and then I'll kind of like go through each player. I wouldn't plan a roster around of like, hey, let's break in case of emergency. I would prefer to build the most balanced roster possible. You know, like for me, I think it doesn't really make sense to have Seth and Patty on the same team. Like just two smaller guards. We've seen what it looked like against Boston. Jalen Brown, especially like whenever he saw Seth or Patty in transition, I, he like, I swear he like licked his chops and was like, all right, I'm going to the rim right now. Like they don't need, the Nets don't need two guys that are like that, that are just kind of traffic cones on defense. They both try, but they can't really help that they're smaller. So I think Patty's the one I like the least. He's just such a non-factor with the ball in hand. And also again, like a total target on defense. He's a little bit older I do think he picks up his, his player option, but but Seth probably has the most most value. And I think if you take him and maybe Cam Thomas and some picks, I don't know if that's going to get you some of those wings that I mentioned earlier, but man, like does that get you... I mean, I don't know. Let's look at some of the guys that I mentioned. Um, could that get you Marcus Morris? Is that a trade? You, I would think about doing that. I'd think pretty heavily about doing that. I wouldn't give up too many picks, but I'd, I'd think about it. And that way you're sizing up your roster and you're getting like a, a high high caliber shooter. I'd think about it. I mean, let's be real. Seth is one of the best assets on this team not named Ben Simmons or Kyrie or KD. Let's be real. He really is. I mean, I guess Joe would be in that category, but Joe is somebody like, I wouldn't just trade him for anybody because he brings legit size at the table. He's the best standstill shooter of the entire group, but I think he's better than Seth. He can make, you know, he can take those one dribble threes. Um, I think he's around like 34% on those, I want to say. He's just, you know, he's a legit, one of the best shooters in the entire damn world. He's amazing. And I, I personally wouldn't trade him unless he gets that, you know, DeAndre Hunter, OG Ananobi, Jeremy Grant, or Harrison Barnes type player. I really wouldn't. I think he's super valuable. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overrating him. But no, I just, the size and the the uh, the shooting is just tough to, it's tough to replace, honestly. We got some coaching questions. Let me see how much more. Oh, we got a lot to go through. Man, man, oh man. 
Thank you guys for all these questions. This is crazy. I thought I was, I thought I was close. We're at forty-seven minutes right now. All right. Um, this is from at astute fanatic on Twitter, and these are all coaching questions. Can you explain how Nash is still the head coach? Every coach has dealt with COVID and injury issues, but it seems like he gets a pass for that. That's a fair point. The window on the Kyrie KD era is rapidly closing, and the organization is wasting time keeping him. I don't know. <laughs> I mentioned he's a nice guy. Great dude. Not that that matters, but like it does kind of. I don't know. I don't feel like it does. Uh, but, and I get it. Like he has had a horrible hand. Has he had as, as horrible a hand as other coaches? I mean, I think he's had a pretty bad one. Like a pretty bad one. In terms of the first year, everybody getting hurt. And then this last year, just like the season that he had. I get it. Harden's exit, Kyrie's COVID absence, all the injuries. It's been pretty rough. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't know what his philosophies are as a coach. It seems like his philosophies are whatever assistant coaches he has that year. That's what his philosophies are, personally. Um, and, you know, he's there to man- manage egos. And again, I brought this up. They That Harden blow up was like one of the most dramatic NBA stories I can remember in a long, 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 long time. Like, it was just a mess. It was a disaster. And there was nothing, I mean, maybe there was nothing he could do about that at all. But again, like, that's that was one of the things. It's like, this guy's going to manage egos. He's going to come in and he's going to keep the peace between these guys. And it's just like, you know, that didn't happen. I can't blame all that on him, but I can look at it a little bit. I can look at him a little sideways, I think. And then the last thing, again, like, like he just like the things i guess it comes back to philosophy for me that all they do is iso they switch a lot which is i'd argue is ime udoka's influence but they don't even do it that well and i thought they slipped a lot actually in certain spots like i thought last year those scram switches and those pre-switches which are before you switch before somebody's brought up to like guard a screening action they didn't do that as well last year the scram switches, they were really inattentive to. Um, and that's something that Boston's really good at. So they they even slipped in the areas where I would argue it wasn't his influence in the first place. And his whole idea of like, hey, we're just going to play KD like 42 minutes and that's how we're going to win games. is just insane to me. It's insane to play a guy coming off, you know, he's a couple years removed, fine. An ACL tear who's, what, KD's what, 30, how old is Kevin Durant? I should know this. What is he, 34? 33. He's turned 34 in September. You're playing a guy that's 34 by the time the season starts. 42 minutes. It's insane. I think he averaged like 37 last year. That's that's so many minutes. Why? (laughs) It's insane. Uh, So I don't get it all the way. I'll be truthful. I, I hate to like rag on the dude, but like I was really surprised they brought him back. I truly was. Another one from Chimmy Otrium. Which assistant coaches should the Nets pursue? What was Vanderpool's imprint on the team? And then Arthur uh, underscore Cash uh, says, what's the intel on the coaching staff? Who is getting released specifically? And whose names are attached to BK outside of Handy? Uh, I'll start with the Vanderpool question. He was supposed to be the defensive coordinator. And the Nets obviously ran a lot of drop, which is what the Timberwolves ran when he was there, what, two years ago? And then Portland a couple years before that with Nurkic. And I thought it was fine um, at the beginning of the year. 
they they obviously had Bruce Brown and Bembry, who were really good point of attack guys, really good screen navigators, and those guys carried out the screen the, the scheme pretty well. I didn't think their bigs were great in drop, other than Lamarcus Aldridge, who realistically can't do anything other than just stand in the paint and be like large. He's just like not. <laughs> He's just old and he can't move around. But I, I, some of the other guys, I was like, I don't know if I love this. Like Blake and Drop is kind of give or take. He can take charges, but I, I actually almost think I'd rather see him like switch or even lightly hedge things. Uh, Clax has just never been comfortable in Drop, which is like the weirdest thing to me. He just like doesn't know how to do it. Never look comfortable. So I, I, I don't know. I thought defensively they were fine last year. I didn't necessarily have any problems, and I thought it made sense for their personnel. But ultimately, I think in certain other aspects, like I mentioned, those scram switches, um, other finer details, I think they slipped in that territory. And I don't know if they necessarily like were as good as at um, at like game planning for their opponents defensively, versus the year before, the Nets, you know, put together this game plan against Milwaukee that was just like. Just awesome. And again, it shows you like, oh yeah, Ime's really good. <laughs> like That guy's really good. It makes sense that guy hatched this masterful plan against Giannis and the Bucks. Uh, as for the assistant coaches, I don't know. I haven't heard any intel. My assumption is that they're kind of, the Nets are waiting for the playoffs to be over. And they're just going to see which big names are out there. Kind of what happened two years ago when they got Mike D'Antoni after Houston blew up. That's my assumption right now. I will say, you know what? Let me, let me, let me add this real quick. I really like getting Igor I uh, as assistant coach, uh, the guy from the Mavs and uh, and the Suns, or originally who coached the Suns. I just did some YouTube searching, just looked at some stuff that he runs. I think he can implement some really fun stuff. Um, he emphasizes weak side movement during uh, pick and rolls and post-ups a lot, which the Nets desperately needed last year in the playoffs. There was so much standing around and watching when KD would post up or run pick and roll. Like, he'll just run simple stuff. Flare screens, pin downs, just to keep the weak side defense occupied. And the Nets could use that desperately. It is the lowest hanging fruit, and I don't know why teams don't do it more. But I, I, I'd i love that stuff. Like, I think that's super smart. Um, and I, I also really like the idea of doing that when KD posts up just because KD's vision is so good, specifically from that area where he can just scan the floor. Um, I also really liked how much he emphasizes his shooters, which obviously matters for the Nets considering they currently have three in Patty, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry. A lot of the, of the offense that he runs is built around getting the shooters open looks. So there's stuff like stagger screens, which is something we really haven't seen in Brooklyn a ton since Kenny and uh, Kenny Atkinson was here. And that's something that Joe Harris used to thrive off of is those stagger screens. They also run other little things. Um, DH or dribble handoffs into PNRs, which are pick and rolls, which I believe is called Miami action. I think that's what it's called where you run a dribble handoff, a guy gets the ball and then he runs into a secondary pick and roll with another big man. Um, and that's something that they can mix into their Chicago sets, which combines a pin down screen and a dribble handoff. So it's just like a lot of like movement and a lot to keep up with. And I like that he involves all of his players. So I, I think he could be really good. I'm pretty high on him right now. Again, it's just based on YouTube research. We'll see if any of that comes to fruition. 
These are all sets that he ran in Europe. Maybe these things don't translate to the States. I don't know. But at the very least, I liked what I saw, and I, I thought that was a good move. All right, a question about the starters. Would you start Seth at the two? I personally think a Kyrie and Seth backcourt is terrible for defense. Uh, this is from underscore dim one. So I would go, I would start Kyrie, Joe, KD, Ben, and a center and have Seth come off the bench. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would definitely go Joe at the two, assuming uh, Ben is at the four. And Clax uh, is the five. And I think I already mentioned before, I would look at trading Seth. If not, yeah, I like him off the bench. So I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, how many questions do we have about the rookies? We got two questions about the rookies. Um, do you, th- this is from underscore dim one again. Do you think Cam or Kessler will have a bigger jump next season? We really need Kessler to pan out. And then Busy B, Brian Florentine asks, which of the rookies do you see taking on a bigger role in year two? Yeah, um, I, uh, in terms of bigger role, bigger jump, I guess I'd probably say Kessler Edwards, considering he's already more NBA ready. The shooting is legit. He rebounds really well. And I think, you know, defensively, he's going to settle down a little bit in year two. He got lost off ball a couple times in big moments. His closeouts were, like, super discombobulated. I think he fouled three-point shooters. The little bit of minutes that he played in the Celtics game, or Celtics series, I think he fouled a three-point shooter, like, almost instantly. So I think he'll be a lot more accustomed to using his length more and not overcrowding dudes on his closeouts and just like on pump fakes as well. Because I remember uh, DeMar DeRozan got got him a couple times when they played the Bulls last year and he guarded him. But yeah, he's, I mean, I'll just say this, like he's probably the Nets' best chance at getting a real deal 3 and D wing. Because I think it's going to be pretty hard to get a Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, OG Ananobi, DeAndre Hunter with what, or DeAndre Hunter, yeah, Hunter, um, with what they've got. Because I don't know how willing they'd be to move Joe Harris. So, I I think that's, uh, it's weird, it's, it's crazy to say that about a second year guy, but he might be their best chance of getting a wing. Uh, I'm, I mean, they can get, you know, guys on the TMLE and stuff like that, and maybe like a Marcus Morris, but um, he's he's like really one of their best chances of getting like a true difference maker. Uh, I mentioned Cam Thomas doesn't have a huge role, you know, in, if, if I think on the nets in general with Kyrie and KD, there are ways that he could improve his shooting, you know, again, cause I talked about his mechanics, his elbows seem to be flared out. His release point on catch and shoots can kind of be all over the place. I would say like where he's loading up his shot, I think can vary from shot to shot, which is why I think. Well, you look at his misses, they're generally a little bit more left to right versus short long because short long would indicate he's not uh, generating enough power. Uh, You know, I think the left right indicates there's something going wrong mechanically. I'm not like a shot doctor, but I know like enough to know that there's something off there. Uh, And if he becomes like better on catch and shoots, he's like a massive piece all of a sudden because he's not just a guy, like let's say he becomes like average on catch and shoots. He's not just a guy that's going to come off the bench and like, oh, here's like a couple, you know, standstill threes or, you know, maybe he'll be relocating slightly. No, like this is a guy like now you can tap into the shot creation because he's going to, he's going to, you know, force closeouts on catch and shoots if he gets, becomes even average. And that's where he starts flashing the mid-range bag, the, you know, the floater game. And ideally he starts getting even more comfortable going to the rim and drawing contact and the way that he did in college and summer league. 
So it's huge that he learns how to shoot. And they and the Nets could use it. Like if they get rid of Seth Curry, they could use a guy like Cam, who's a little bit, you know, I mean, well, let's say a lot more, but you know, Seth is a little bit more than just a shooter. He can do things off the dribble. He can get to the rim. He's not great, but he can on occasion. And he's definitely got the mid-range pull-up off a couple of dribbles. Um, Cam's obviously got way more than that in his bag. It's just a question of can he shoot. So if he can get there, yeah, that's that's a huge piece for the Nets. Ooh, I love this next section. I got to tell you. Um, it's all about schemes. All one question. TD89Knights from Reddit asks, I know you like to get into the underlying schemes on your pod. Can you talk about what you think the Nets will run next year on defense and offense, what they should run more or less of? All right, so defensively, um, I really like the idea of the Nets dropping again with Simmons at the point of attack. When Let's say they're playing with Mike Muscala or, or somebody like that who's not like super switchable. I like them dropping in that situation with Simmons at the point of attack because he is such a hellacious screen navigator. I think you can get away with that. When Claxton's in, you're switching everything. And I for me, like it's basically impossible for opponents to get a mismatch when they run one five pick and roll. So by that I mean they have the point guard, have the regular uh, typical big man set of screen. That means you're bringing Claxton in, you have Simmons guarding the point of attack, those guys switch. That's just as horrible of a matchup for both 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 sides. Because Simmons has the strength to at least body with bigs, and Clax, we know what he can do on the perimeter. Um, so I think that's what I would do on as like primary defensive scheme. Switch with Clax. When Simmons is with a backup big, I'm dropping pretty much everything. I think the Nets can handle that just fine. Um, I would also explore with some zone concepts. Uh, I like the idea of running box and one with Simmons being not part of the box with him chasing around and just causing havoc. That would be really fun for me. You could even get crazy and run 3-2 zone and have one of Clax or Simmons at the top and then have a back line of KD and the other of Simmons and Claxton manning the corners so that they're rotating over weak side. And then I guess you'd probably put Kyrie at the top of the zone since he's a pretty good nail helper. That would be pretty fun for me personally. Uh, and the only other thing, like in terms of things they need to do less of, I'm always like, I'm always, 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 always kind of hitting on how much I hate soft switching. And the Nets have to stop soft switching with their smaller guards. Like you cannot be so, so willing to say, hey, here's Seth Curry or Patty Mills or Kyrie, although Kyrie battles, um, especially with Simmons and Claxton on the team. Like you just can't. I get it. Making Claxton navigate screens, not great. Simmons is much better at that. But the soft switching has just got to slow down. And I don't know if that means you need to change your personnel, if they're going to continue to do that or what. But the soft switching drives me freaking crazy. So that would be, I guess, the main thing. Defensively, like, schemes are what they are. You know, the most you can do is explore with zone concepts. And I guess the Nets could do that last year. It's really the offense, weirdly enough. And I know they were great offensively last year, but... I just want them to get a little more imaginative. I already mentioned the weak side moment uh, movement. Like, just please do a little more. As I said above, you know, pin downs with with when when uh, you know when they run pick and roll on one side of the floor, run pit, run just a simple pin down on the other. Do that, you know. And, and I'm not saying they don't do that, but just like 
do it more in bigger moments. Um, I also really like when, you know, let's say a player gives up the ball, set a flare screen for that player because defenses tend to lose focus uh, when a player gives up the ball versus just having that guy, you know, slide to the other side of the court and just stand there. Have him come off a screen. Make the defense think after a player gives up the ball. Uh, I'd also want to see like more exit screens in the corners. They did that some. I feel like the Nets could do that more. Really smart teams are running a lot of hammer action, uh, a lot of exit screen stuff. Those are little things I'd want to see more. Again, just have more stuff going on on the weak side and when guys don't have the ball in their hands. Um, Inverted plays. So what I mean by that is when Ben Simmons is handling, have Kyrie or KD or Seth Curry or, or Patty Mills, whatever, have those guys set a screen for Ben Simmons. And when Ben is posting up, because I think he'll get his post-ups, run a bunch of split-cut action. So that's what the Warriors run, where you have two guys come together and split apart. Have that happen with Kyrie or KD or Joe Harris or Patty or Seth or whatever combination of those guys. Run a bunch of that stuff. Bring in some Warriors influence. Do it, because I think it would work really well for this team. I liked when they did it two years ago uh, when with like the first couple months of the Mike D'Antoni, Ime, Steve Nash, Troika, um, that little, that, that, that threesome running the coaching uh, staff, I guess. They, they ran a lot of split cut stuff. I want to see them dive back into that. It's really fun to watch them, you know, kind of borrow those, those tactics from Golden State and uh, I guess San Antonio. Like I, I want to see more of that. Um, of course, like this is, if you can't tell, like I really think Ben can have a big role in this team. So dribble handoffs and, and Chicago action with him initiating those things. He's really good in that role because he's a really smart at getting guys the ball and he's a good screen setter. But, but, but after he gets up, gives up the ball, him rolling to the rim is much more devastating than say Blake Griffin, who previously ran a lot of their dribble handoff stuff. So I like that as well. Uh, I, by the way, I'm. So I hope I'm not like. It doesn't sound like I'm reading off a list. I just have so many ideas that uh, <laughs> I had to write everything down. So another one I have kind of jotted down here: Spain pick and roll. Please run it. I have asked the Nets to run it for two years. I think they ran it once. Maybe no, they might have ran it a couple times this year too. But I remember them running it once two years ago with Landry Shamit setting the back screen and they completely blew it. And I think they ran it a couple times this year. I don't think they ran it well. Make it a part of the regular playbook. Have Joe Harris set the back screen with Kyrie handling or even KD handling and then Claxton setting the screen or whoever, Ben Simmons setting the screen. Just run it. It's a good set. It's fun. <laughs> I know teams have sort of figured out how to guard it, but you know, if, if you get well-versed at it, it can be part of your uh, playbook. Um, you know, I, they ran a lot of double drag stuff, some horn stuff. I'd like that. You know, they ran some Iverson stuff last year or Iverson cut stuff, um, for Seth Curry specifically. That was usually their opening set to start quarters. Love that. Keep that stuff in there. And now you have Ben Simmons as one of the screeners. Uh, and then you could even have Kessler Edwards in there, or if it's, if they get a stretch big, like, depending on how they build out that roster, those sets will become even more devastating. Oh, here's a good one. Please run more Kyrie and KD pick and roll. I have been begging for it for the last 
two and a half years. And I'm not talking just high, like high pick and roll. Run it, run side pick and roll with KD popping to the three. If the, if the defense is like, let's say the defense is icing that pick and roll, run that. Run a KD Kyrie pick and roll. Or, or just like in general, just run that set more. Put your two best players in action and see and make the defense think. Um, yeah, I, I wish they'd do that more. <laughs> they usually run at the end of games. I'm like, why not just run that at random points? You know? Uh, so I like that. And what I like about that set too is like those guys are not like-sized players because KD is so freaking tall. Even though they both have the same general skill sets of being ball handlers that can shoot from three levels, KD is usually going to attract a big, big wing and Kyrie is going to have like a much smaller kind of pitter-patter, going to have to stay with you type of guard. Like I guess the team that's the best equipped to guarding that would be Boston, and they'd probably have, but even then they'd have one of Al Horford and I guess Marcus Smart guarding that action. That's probably the best equipped team to do that, or even Grant Williams. And still, I feel like I kind of like, I like Kyrie going against Al Horford. Um, I definitely like KD going against Marcus Smart. It's a lethal set. They should run it more. I also, they ran a lot of pistol before the Harden trade, which is a set that's from Mike D'Antoni's uh Phoenix Suns days. I'd like to. I'd like them to run that more because it was usually Joe Harris coming up the elbow uh, for the handoff from Kyrie and KD, and I think they could also run that for Patty Mills especially. He's really good at those sharp cuts around the arc and loading up from three. He's maybe the best on the team actually at that. So I like Pistol for him. They never ran that. I mean, well, I'm not gonna say never, but they were. They didn't run it as much as they did two years ago. And then. Uh, uh, this is just a set I like a lot. They run wide action for Joe Harris a lot. And it's something they've been running since the Kenny Atkinson days. And it's basically a screen that faces the sideline in transition. So on the fast break, at like kind of near midcourt. And Joe usually gets the ball. He takes one dribble. And by then, after getting the screen that faces the sideline, he's at the top of the, uh, above the break. And he pulls up. I'm, sh- I'm sure you can picture it. I- maybe I'll throw up a clip. At some point, I'm sure I will actually this year because now that he's finally healthy, thank God. Um, so yeah, uh, that's another one I like. So I know that sounded like a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but I thought long and hard about this one. And these are all things I'd like to see. More movement, more varied pick and roll. Uh, borrow for some some sets that they ran two years ago. Those split cuts, the pistol action. And uh, and just kind of vary up the offense a little bit, make the defense think a little bit more, and not uh, know what to expect. I guess um, in terms of what the Nets are running, you know, I guess possession to possession. So this is from at Durant seven three five. Maddie, do you see the Nets using kind of the C's mold, uh, the Celtics mold, and have the success they are having, uh, even though they don't have a set ball handler? Uh, I know, and he says Marcus is the point guard, but they have JT and JB handle it a lot. Have KD handle the ball at times at the top of the key doesn't go well with his strengths. So having Ben play the four and handling the ball can create a lot of mismatches for opposing teams. Um, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I don't even know who. I guess the set point guard for the Nets would be Kyrie. Obviously, we know he's much better off ball. So I agree. I like them running a little bit more of a five out kind of offense with Simmons up top. This is known as delay. That's what that's typically known as in terms of. Uh, NBA lingo. So running delay action for Simmons. Again, really just five out offense. Um, 
And what I like about that is you can run screens on both sides of the floor to generate screens, or excuse me, to generate threes. And then the guys that set those screens, they can slip to the rim. I can really, really see KD excelling in this regard. So Simmons is handling up top. They're setting screens on both sides of the floor. KD's really good at faking, like he's going to come off the screen and then just going the other direction toward the basket when the defense overplays that action. I'm sure you can picture it. Great back cutter. Because defenses are so scared of him coming off threes for you know either mid-range uh, catch and shoots or even uh, threes where he's changing his direction entirely uh, and releasing off the catch. So that's something I could see a lot. And yeah, again, just five out offense with Simmons running things makes a lot of sense. We have a couple of questions about hierarchy. That's what I have this section titled. And this is mainly just relating to, and I'll let this first question actually kind of describe what this is referring to. This is from Harvey Specter again on Reddit. Uh, how do the Nets compete with the elite teams next year, like the Warriors, Bucks, and Celtics? I, by the way, it's so weird to me that I know the Suns shouldn't be in that group, but man, after winning 60, what, 64 games, it's so funny that they've dropped out. Uh, and again, I, I agree with that, by the way. They should not be in the top tier uh, of teams, I guess, because Chris Paul's year older. They're going to lose Aiden, but God, it's so crazy how much a year can change things. Anyways, how do the, the Nets complete, uh, compete with elite teams like the Warriors, Bucks and Celtics, I would say wing depth, but options are limited in the free agent market. I agree, Harvey Specter. Um, are there any schemes that could maximize their shot making with their limited size and defense? Russell and Fro, very similar question. Do you feel like there is a path to building a true contender without a trade? And then uh, this is from Sandra on Twitter. Uh, if Kyrie and Simmons are fully healthy, dedicated, and given the current landscape, are the Nets genuine contenders? Uh, again, yeah, I agree with the the limited wing depth. Because um, as I mentioned, you're looking at a trade to get a needle mover. And then otherwise, you're just being like, all right, let's hope TJ Warren pans out or let's hope Otto Porter Jr. has another good year uh, and stays healthy. Or let's even hope that Kessler Edwards is a contributor next year. So in totality, you just need everything to go right. Like you can't have the situation that the Nets last had last year where it was like the 99th percentile of things that could have gone wrong. And it really, it should be viewed as a throwaway year. You know, all the things that happened, the Harden forcing out, Kyrie's situation, all of the injuries with Joe and then later Simmons, KD getting hurt, uh, COVID absences, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And, you know, I think for next year, you just need Kyrie and Simmons. They have to play. You need some injury luck. Probably need a leap from certain guys. Like, I look at Nick Claxton. Probably need a little bit of a leap from him on offense. I look at the free throw shooting as the first thing. But, yeah, you, you just need little things to go right. You need to hit on your, you know, I guess your end of rotation roster pieces. Maybe see if you can get a trade using Seth. They're probably pretty locked into what they have. There are ways to improve, though, on the margins. And I think they should take a swing for somebody like TJ Ward and see what they've got. Um, I will say... I will say, I, and I'm going to put it like this, I'm probably a lot hard, higher on the Nets next year than most people, which I know sounds crazy because I'm like the Nets pessimist. I'm a lot higher in them though. Boston, of course, is going to be a threat for years, but going back to back to the finals is hard and Horford's a year older. Yes, I get it. Rob Will will 
likely fully take a leap, and I bet you they go solo big next year. You know, maybe they get more from Grant Williams. I don't know, but regardless, it's hard. It's a lot of work. It's not easy to go the finals back-to-back years. Milwaukee, you know, Giannis speaks for himself. That team is awesome. They are a year older. We don't know how Brooke Lopez looks, and we don't know if we're gonna they're gonna try to replace that that I guess role. Um, Drew's a little bit older; he could slip, and he's just played a lot of basketball in the last three years. So yes, I like them. I am probably a little bit lower on them than other people because they do have some question marks, and they have to retool their roster along with the Nets. Uh, a lot of the guys that they went for this year just didn't really hit. Um, it just not at all. I mean, even Grayson Allen was just like a miss. It looked good in certain spots, and then you know it ended up being Grayson Allen. <laughs> um, so that that those are that's a team that they have questions to answer too, and an older roster again. That Brook Lopez thing is a big deal. So I look at the Nets. I say, hey, Kyrie and KD is an elite one-two punch. Maybe the second best in the conference. Maybe the best in the conference. Depends how you feel about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but. I, regardless, I, they, they're there. Like, I, I would argue they are probably the best one-two punch. Simmons obviously can make a massive difference if he hits. He is a defense unto himself, a great rebounder. He can make plays in the short roll if defense is trapped. Great in transition. I mentioned the inverted pick and rolls that you can run with him. The dribble handoffs. Use him as a cutter. He's going to be a huge deal if they can get him right. Joe Harris being back. Big deal. Miss Joe Harris a lot. And we're going to see just how lethal this offense is with him alongside guys like Patty Mills and Seth Curry. The talent is there. You give these guys enough of, of a, I guess, enough of a um, a road together. And it, I, I really think the sky is the limit. They barely got time together. And continuity does matter. It does. We saw that last year. It absolutely matters. So for me... I actually think I'd pick them to come out of the East. I said it. Yeah, I, I, I said it. I, I think they can come out of the East next year. I really do. I don't know why. I don't know what has indicated over the last three years that anything is ever going to go right for this team. I just think they can come out of the East. The talent is there. They You could almost view this as a rest year for them. Like you look at Golden State this last year. They've missed the playoffs the last two years. And in doing so, they're almost, like you look at Curry right now, he just looks refreshed almost. And you take the Nets right now, they lost in four. That team quit after game two. I'll tell you right now, the whole organization thought they were going to lose after that game. Even going home to Brooklyn, they're like, yeah, we're done. We've lost. The team had quit internally. I don't know if I've said that on a podcast before. Isn't that insane? (laughs) They had quit internally, down 2-0. Because they, they, for whatever reason, they just they were like, all right, this isn't our year. We're going to have to retool and start over next year. And that's what they're going to do. And now you have this team. They have played four playoff games over the last three years, essentially. I think they're going to be fresh. They're going to be hungry. They The talent is there. They have some pieces they need to bring in. But I don't know. It's just really hard for me to see this team with this level of talent not going the distance in a conference where a lot of the the giant juggernauts have taken a little bit of a beating over the last couple of years. Boston's road has been ridiculous. There's a chance they might have three seven-gamers in a row. Milwaukee 
had went to all the way to the finals, had a compressed off season like everybody else, and then went to the second round and had a seven gamer. And and they have an older roster. I really think they can do it. I, I truly believe that. I think the Nets can come out of the East next year. We can put this on wax. There we go. Biggest pessimist out there. I am telling you right now, I think they can do it. All right, another question uh, or new section. This is about minutes. Uh, this is from Brian Florentine. What are the optimal minutes distribution for the Nets stars? Well, not playing KD 42 minutes on random nights against the Pistons is a start. Um, like if you can get them down to like 34, 35 minutes a game, assuming there are no COVID slash availability issues, that would be great. You want these guys to play as many games as possible because I think you've learned over the last year you need continuity. So I understand having some rest days, but I would just much rather play more games on lower minutes, even if that hurts you in the standings because that's clearly like the Nets are so strange because they'll sit their guys, but then they'll be like, oh, we really want to win this game against the Pacers. Let's play KD 43 minutes to make sure we get this one. It's like, so backwards. So yeah, that's what I would do. I would play more games, lower minutes. If that hurts you in the standings, so be it. Um, like you look at Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons played around like 33 to 35 minutes in Philly and he's like in his early twenties. So if you can, if you can get Kyrie and KD closer to that, I think that'd be a great start. They were both at around like 37 last year. We got some Sean Marks questions. Ooh, 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 this is a good one. This is a good little section. Um, all right. Paul tweets too much. What's up, Paul? Is Sean Marks' ego a problem? Nasher15, also on Twitter. How much blame should fall on Sean Marks for botching the offseason completely? How much blame should he also get for handling the reins of a championship contender with an older roster to a guy who hasn't coached a day in his life, hoping he grows into it? What I'm basically asking is why isn't Sean Marks on the hot seat for completely mishandling this clean sweep of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? One series win in three years. Whoo! Damn. And then I got last one, Sim Reaper. I thought that said sit. This is at Sim Reaper um, from Twitter. When can we get rid of Marks and Nash? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll start here. I'm not somebody that's like. I'm not like a Marks truther. I'm not in the pocket of Marks. Um, I'm not always gonna say everything he does is perfect. Uh, I never have. I've criticized him in the past. I've criticized him in, what year was that? 2019-20, uh, when when KD was out. I'd criticized his roster decisions that year. Um, I didn't like the Garrett Temple signing. And uh, yeah, I've never been, I've just always kind of, I don't know, I've always been somebody to voice my opinion. And I'll say right now, I didn't like his offseason last year when it happened in July. I, I, there were tweets that I put up. I got killed for it. People were so mad at me for saying, I don't think the Nets had that good of an offseason. I, I got murdered. I remember I was, uh, I was visiting family, and I just remember the notifications coming in on Twitter, and people were like, you're a hater. Like, you know, what? Like, this is a, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you should watch ball more. I'm just sort of like, all right, like, that's fine. But I don't think this, like, offseason, I'm sorry, James Johnson isn't moving me. <laughs> like, 
I never was that big of a fan. Um, I got killed for it last year. Like people were so mad at me. I think actually me and Billy Reinhardt were were uh, aligned on, in that uh, in that stance. We just didn't like the off season at all. And I came around on it when they got Millsap, which is a hilarious sentence to say in itself. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I I didn't like it when it happened. So and I hated it even more during the first game of the year. I remember me and Lucas Kaplan did a podcast on the, on this show, and right away we were both like, "Hey, the spacing and the roster versatility looks really bad, like really bad." And guess what? That held true throughout the entire season. Those worries that we had initially never went away. The spacing was bad the whole year. It never got better, no matter what they did with it. The roster versatility, this team ended up with all centers and all guards that were like my height. Like, it it was a problem the entire year. And hilariously, that was the first podcast I did to start the year. So, I am somebody that is not always just, hey, I'm Team Sean Marks. That said, that said, that said, this was the worst possible situation for Sean Marks. I'm not going to, this is not going to turn into a Kyrie bashing thing. He did play a large part in tanking the season with his absence. And the Nets were never able to get that continuity with their second best player on the court. Katie injury, also a huge deal. Harden obviously screwed things up from top to bottom. Handled that situation like shit, like absolute shit. And left his team with nothing other than Seth Curry on one ankle and Andre Drummond, which was an advantage for the Celtics, let's be real. And beyond that, beyond that, Harden also, well, Harden in the first place, and you could blame this more likely on KD, uh, getting Harden in the first place completely stripped the Nets of all of their assets, all of their first round, not all of them, but all their picks that they would be able to trade um, were gone because of this whole Harden thing. That was a KD move. And the superstars bickering with each other and having problems with each other, that was their problem. So I would not blame that on Marks. Ben never plays. They probably should have done due diligence there and looked into the Ben Simmons thing a little bit more. You should know if a guy has a back injury. You probably should know that. You know? <laughs> but at the end of the day, is like, if the difference... If, if you really think the difference in this year was getting Otto Porter Jr. versus Patty Mills in this team advancing to the second round. I'm sorry, that's not the difference. Let's be real here. All the things that I've just mentioned, Kyrie, Katie's injury, Harden just screwing things up from top to bottom, Joe getting hurt, Ben never playing in the front office, not doing due diligence, which I guess is a reflection of Marks. Um, that's, that's the stuff that screwed this team. This team was screwed from the jump. The second that Kyrie Irving didn't show up for media day, at that exact moment, I was like, uh-oh, because I was there at media day. I remember that happening. I'm being like, oh, ooh, this this I this feels like a bad omen. I have a bad feeling in my stomach. Um, and it ended up being the truth. So all of those things, all of those things, I think you can attribute. I'm not, and again, I, his his offseason sucked. They had to cut all four guys. I mean, that graphic went around Twitter, and I was like, wow, that's really crazy to think about. They had to cut four of the guys that they signed in the offseason. Not good. Obviously not a good offseason. And the spotlight is on him now to succeed. They need a good offseason. They need a better coaching staff. You cannot run into 
the season next year with this, what, whatever they were running last year and the coaching stuff that they had. I just didn't think it was a very imaginative group and they never stood out to me ever at any point. So they need a better coaching staff. They need to find the right pieces that fully insulate this group. Um, issues like Kyrie's availability. Hopefully we don't go, go through that again because my mental, like for my mental health, I can't deal with that. <laughs> I don't want to do another year of reporting on that. Um, but let's say like Ben Simmons's physical and mental health, those need to be handled better. I thought the Nets handled that so poorly, so poorly, so freaking poorly, so poorly in the playoffs, putting him in promotional videos. Cause let's be real. Like there were, there were videos of him shooting around on, maybe it was the yes network account, whatever those videos went up and that indicated, Oh, Oh, we might be getting Ben Simmons. Nope. Didn't play. So issues like that have to be handled better. Transparency. That would be great. That's not a must, but that would be excellent. <laughs> and I don't think his ego is a problem. I wouldn't go that far. I do think the Nets are playing a little bit of a dangerous game with Kyrie. This whole trying to take back the franchise thing. I think it's kind of a moot point at this point. Like the Nets are what they are. They have made their bed. They have made so many decisions to placate to the superstars at every single point of this process that trying to backtrack on that now is ridiculous. I just don't... Like, if they wanted to play hardball, they should have been doing that from day one. You can't give somebody one thing and then take that away. That's like basic psychology right there. It's not going to work. That's never worked in any industry. So I agree. I don't know if it's an ego thing, I just think it's a miscalculation in the sitch on the situation. I get it. It's very I I understand why they're frustrated. <laughs> Once one series win in 3 years with the the star talent that you've had, uh guys just not showing up to work, let's be real. Um those things are frustrating. I get it. You want to take back the franchise, but ultimately you have to think about what is going to make your team the happiest. What is going to keep things what is going to keep the peace? And doing this, being a little bit hostile and pressers, I think it's really risky. I do. Ultimately, by the way, I think Kyrie stays and all of this chatter, everything that I just mentioned is going to be completely worthless in a couple months. I think he stays. I think they'll agree to a deal. This team will be fine. I just said they're going to come out of the East for crying out loud, but I get it. It, it has been a little bit strange to watch from afar. Ultimately, I don't think that Marks is going to like hurt this team from within. He's going to take this team down with his ego. Like, nah, like all that, that's too far for me. At the end of the day, these guys are going to come together. They're going to figure it out. They're adults. But I get it. I understand why there's a little bit of hand-wringing. That's just a little too far for me. All right, we are actually close. I'm at an hour 30. Got two fun questions. And then I'm going to close this out. We'll probably be at an hour 40 to close, to to finish this whole thing. Um, Corey Kander. Corey, what's up? Uh, as are you sure your jinx powers are gone given the off-season drama? First off, I don't think I've jinxed them at all this off-season considering I don't think I've tweeted about, well, I, I obviously have, but I have not tweeted about the Nets very often since their season ended. And let me just say, if you don't know what this means, for, for whatever reason, like two years ago, whenever I said anything about the Nets, the opposite would happen. So it became like this big, like, meme? I guess it was a meme. Uh... 
on Twitter that I had a jinx. I had jinx powers. So uh, I'll say last year, my jinx powers were not working like at any point in the season. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about me jinxing the Nets. Uh, we'll see about this year, but last year it didn't seem like the jinx was very powerful. And uh, thus far, there's no evidence to support the notion that we'll deal with that this upcoming season. Brooklyn Nets 8-5. Oh, this, I'm ending with this one because it's hilarious. <laughs> Out of anyone who has ever written for Nets Daily, create a starting five for pickup. Oh yeah, this is a good one. I need Chris Mulholland, a.k.a. Blogger John Collins, springy, athletic, at center. Chris has got some videos of him just hammering down dunks. So I need I need him. I need him at center. We're going to have a lethal pick and roll game. Chris, Chris is going to look like Nick Claxton out there. <laughs> uh, Lucas Kaplan. There is, there is video evidence that my guy can hoop. He's our wing. He's our power forward. It's pretty. I, I think Lucas is pretty tall. So he's he's got to be on the team. He can play, man. He can actually play. Uh, we obviously need Pooch at point guard. Duh. He's absolutely our point guard. I remember one of my favorite videos. He put out a video of him uh, playing in his front yard during the pandemic. And... Uh, I remember during the bubble when the Nets are looking for signing or trying to sign players because of all the COVID stuff. I probably posted that video like five different times. I'm so I'm annoying, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Pooch Pooch definitely a point guard. You're gonna run the offense for us. I feel like Reed Wallet can play. Uh, so and and Reed Reed only wrote for us a little bit, probably before I got there. He's not doing betting stuff, but yeah, I feel like Reed can play. I I just I have this feeling he can. Maybe I'm wrong. I got to ask him. But uh, yeah, I think um, he'll be our, our small forward or our shooting guard. Um, and then can Billy Reinhardt play? He's tall. I know that. I've, seen, I've obviously, uh, I know Billy and I've met him and uh, been to events and stuff with him. But I know he's tall. So I'm thinking he can be our small forward. I feel like Billy can play. I feel like he can. <laughs> and he'd be like our... Like, he'd be our Clippers J.J. Redick. Like, he's got the hair. Like, I feel like he can play. <laughs> and all I'm trying to say is, if we're trying to win, I should not be playing. If you can't tell, I wasn't in that lineup because I suck at hoops. Man, I make videos. <laughs> I grab clips. I write articles. I make podcasts. I know my limits, man. I should not be out there. So, <laughs> I will not be on the team. <laughs> You know those memes that are going around Twitter where it says he thinks he's on the team? I'm not that. Like, I'm I'm not on the team. I'm going to be on the sidelines. I'll be like the the, uh, the Theo Pinson. I'll be there. I'll be cheering. <laughs> I'll be doing little Irish jigs. I will not be playing. So that's my starting five. We got Chris Mulholland at, at center, Lucas Kaplan at, uh, at power forward, Billy Reinhardt, small forward, Reed Wallach at shooting guard. I'm really going on a limb. I hope Reed can play. And then Pooch at point guard. I feel good about three of our players right now. And uh, the other two, I just feel like will be good. But we'll see. So I think that's my starting five. Oh, and then uh, we got to have Windrum as head coach. <laughs> it's like our Greg Popovich. <laughs> Super liberal. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, Greg Popovich. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, first off, thank you guys all for the questions. Um, thank you all for, yeah, just thank you for the questions. It's been a blast to do. I hope I didn't have to make too many cuts. I am going to admit right now I had to hack a lung out a couple times, but it wasn't too bad. Um, so I hope you guys all enjoyed this. Stay tuned. Uh, finals are obviously finishing up. I'm going to have the draft. And then uh, then we're getting into off-season stuff. I'll be using this podcast a lot more. We'll be talking about rumors and whatever comes out surrounding the Nets. Uh, probably coaching hirings and stuff like that as they fill out this coaching staff. So it'll be fun. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. And follow me on Twitter, Matt Brooks NBA, for all my Reddit listeners, if you're on Twitter. Um, and yeah, again, thank you all. I will tag you all in this uh, in the comments of wherever I post this thing so you can see this. And I will talk to you all next time. Peace. Peace.